listening to the Strike 3 Podcast, your source for taking your umpire to the next level. And here are your hosts, CB, Colin Brown, Enoch, Eric Nakagawa, and Trav, Travis Witt. Welcome to another splendid edition of Strike 3 Podcast. I'm CB. I'm Enoch. And I'm Trav. Five seasons, guys. Can you believe it? Time goes by. It does. It does. It flies. It sure does. There's a time warp of COVID years. I kind of lose track of how much time has gone by. But (laughs) We're almost to 50 episodes. So Yeah, just about. Thank God for Zoom because, I mean, otherwise, I mean, like during the pandemic and stuff like that, we would have never been able to, other than calling each other, really you know, necessarily getting together and right. to be able to talk about baseball when there was none. I think that was extremely important for us. And I'm I'm just glad I got to share this platform with two of my best friends. So yeah. I, no, we, I we got to do it. Sometimes technology's good. So yeah, right. Just just wish I put stock in just before. <laughs> I know, right? Boy, did we miss that boat. <laughs> totally miss that boat. Uh, going good, going strong, getting stronger. Well to kick off 2024, season five, episode one. We have the brand new Division Two National Coordinator, John Brower. John, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate that. John, and thanks welcome. for making time for us. So, my pleasure. Always have time for umpires. Well, you're in the right changes. spot for that. <laughs> A lot of changes have been coming your way the last few months. There, no doubt. It's uh, it's been exciting. You know, I've. Uh, Gotten to know a lot of people that uh, that I didn't know. I've contacted every single uh, conference commissioner, and of course, I've been working closely with uh, uh, all the conference coordinators at the Division II level, and uh, it's been great so far. And I, I look forward to the season uh, kicking off here in another week. Right now, that's that's coming coming right up, and you've had a, a lot of experience coming into this. Obviously, you've had what like thirty some odd years of collegiate umpiring um you're obviously a d2 coordinator for what 10 11 years something like that so i assume you had to give that up that spot up to take the national i did mm-hmm. um you know the timing was perfect my predecessor scott taylor who who's one of my best friends wanted to go off and do some other things in life i had been a, a conference coordinator for two division two conferences for the last 11 years and prior to that, I was on the field. I'm, I'm dating myself. I'm an old man. 70s, the, the, the new 50. Or 50s, the new 70, whatever it is. Yeah, right. um, it's whatever they say. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I, 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 feel, I feel young. Heck, my, my mom's going to be 101 in uh, about three oh, wow. weeks. So, wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm pretty blessed. But uh, So hopefully I've got a bunch more years. But anyway, getting back to it, I... I I just felt that uh, this would be a great way to eventually end my career. You know, I was on the field for a long time. Then I was a coordinator and now the national coordinator. I think there are things that I can do to to help umpires at the division two level and help umpiring at the division two level. Uh, I'd like to do this for between five and 10 years, just depending upon how, you know, providing Mm -hmm. my health stays good. I'm a, 
you know, I'm an exercise guy, so I'm constantly working on that. But, you know, they'll probably get tired of me after about 10 years. And, and that way, I'll just kind of ride off in the sunset. But, you know, guys, I, I tell people this all the time. I have a debt to baseball that I'll never, ever be able to repay because it's just been so tremendous to me. The, the people I've met and the places I've gotten to go, and uh, it's just been an incredible journey that uh, I can't wait for the other couple of weeks to uh, continue. And then besides collegiate baseball, um, you've been, you know, the coordinator for a number of, uh, of other other groups of the MBC World Series, which is a long-standing summer summer tournament, um, and that that's but well, what eight years, nine years you've been doing that. Um, obviously, we we we've chatted earlier um, and seen seen you down in in Phoenix area for the the Men's Senior World Series. Uh, you've done that for well, oh, a long time. 10 years, yeah, years. And, the yeah. Uh, the NBC is is quite a deal. It we're We'll be in our 90th year this year, and it used to be uh, a semi-pro type tournament. It's kind of morphed into a um, end of the year college Division One level uh, tournament. Um, teams from all over the country come. Um, unfortunately, we've had teams from Alaska before. We've had teams from the Cape before. Sometimes, which are the premier leagues, and of course the Northwoods. Um, but sometimes their leagues don't end in time for, for the tournament. And we try to juggle the times of the NBC around. And I know there's always ongoing uh, communication between the board directors of the NBC and all the elite leagues. We even had a, uh, a professional team, Adam LaRoche, who used to be, uh, well, he was a big league player for many years. Most people know him. He put together a team of ex-pros. I mean, guys like David Ross, uh, Chipper Jones, some guy named Roger Clemens, you know. Um, I mean, a, a bunch of really good players. Uh, Jack Clark. It was, it was incredible. And they played uh, down there for two years. We had a lot of fun with them, and they were really good. Uh, some of those guys can, can still play. Um, I've been doing that since 2016. It's kind of funny how that whole thing came about. I'm getting ready to retire from, from the real world, real job, in April of 2016. Actually, April Fool's Day. Um, kind of appropriate. <laughs> I get a phone call that winter uh, in December of 2015 from somebody at the NBC that knew me. And they said, hey, have you ever considered being in, involved in the NBC? And I said, well, you know, I used to umpire it a little bit back in the day, but usually so darn hot that that I, I really didn't care for it. He said, well, we'd, we'd like for you to be involved. And that's as far as it went. About three or four weeks later, I get a phone call from the general manager of the NBC. And he, uh, he said, well, we'd like for you to sign the umpires. And that was a job that had been handled by another gentleman for about 20 years. And I have a lot of respect for this man. And I said, well, I can't do that. I, I, I never take somebody else's job. And they said, well, we're going to make a change, whether it's you or somebody else, but we're going to make a change. So we put a deal together, and they informed this person that they came after me, and I didn't go after his job because I just don't, don't like doing business that way. And uh, it's been a, a great relationship. You know, they asked me how I could 
in the interview process how I can improve the level of umpiring. I said, well, I'll bring all Division One umpires uh, to the ta to the games. And they said, well, that's impossible. I said, well, if it's impossible and I don't do it, you don't owe me a thing and you'll never see me again. And uh, we'll, we'll part company. And, well, it, to make a long story short, um, we've had nothing but Division I umpires all year uh, all, for the last eight years and uh, seven years going on eight. And it's been terrific. Santa Barbara Foresters come from the, the West Coast and they play every year. And, and I remember two years ago, they're in the final game. Their starting infield was either Arizona State or uh, Arkansas. And, uh, and and UCLA, and there were a couple of UCLA guys there too. So it's real baseball, and and uh, it's very exciting. So I'm proud to be a part of it. That is pretty exciting. <clears throat> and then the uh, the the men's senior World Series. We obviously have friends that that go and work 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 for you down there for that one. Yeah, that's that's quite a deal in itself. <laughs> the tournament director is an old friend of mine. He's actually based out of Kansas City here. And uh, when the full-time position came open, he called me and asked me, and I, and I said, sure, I'll do it. Uh, I'm able to do it because I've got so many great relationships all over the country with, with great people that, that also umpire. And they come in and, and, you know, guys will come in for a weekend or a week or two weeks or some three weeks, you know, just work as much or as little as they want. It's not bad to come from uh, the Northeast part of the United States and, and spend part of October in Arizona. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not a hard I'll sell for those guys. Yeah. Right. No, that, 2022 awesome. was the first time I was able to actually uh, experience that and see that. And it's really amazing how many teams come from so far and are just dedicated to playing in this tournament. Uh, you wouldn't believe regardless of age and it, it really great these guys get to play on you know minor league spring training facilities and it's a thrill not only for them to play in such a beautiful prestigious park what brings them all together is at the end of the day the love of the game that's exactly right you know we we have a new division for uh 2024 and it's the 80 and over division oh wow yeah 80 and over. We we had 75 and over, but now we made another division for 80 and over. And there will be probably first year four or five teams of 80-year-old fellas that that just absolutely love to play. And you know, I had I had an umpire say, Well, I don't want to umpire those guys. It's boring and blah, blah, blah. I said, guys, I'll tell you what, first of all, it pays the same. And second of all, you'll have more fun with those guys than you will umpiring 25-year-old guys that think they can still play. Inevitably, I'll get a phone call. Man, I had so much fun. Send me to as many 70 and over games as you possibly can. It, it really is. I mean, you know, on, on a, another note, we actually had a elderly player pass out, and he actually coded oh, on wow. the ball field at Fish Park uh, about four years ago. Fish is, uh, it used to be the Cubs uh, minor league complex. It's now the A's. Right. And uh, it's a fourplex, a cloverleaf. And fortunately, there was a, a doctor, an emergency room physician, playing on an adjacent field. He came back and brought the man back to life. And wow. as far as I know, he's still wow. kicking, kicking today. So, yeah, quite Excellent. a deal. Excellent. I'll be darned. Just for those players, I mean, if you could just imagine the stories that the, all those players can talk about, I mean – 
hell, I mean, I'd be lucky to even call a ball or a strike before just, you know, li- you know listening in to the litany of information that they had. It would just be. Yeah, amazing. no, it's and, and we've had a lot of pros. Uh, Jose Cardinal used to play quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Spaceman Lee played all the time. Mm-hmm. Used uh, to go, Kenny yeah. Chesney even played um, wow. a couple of years. And uh, we've had all kinds of, uh, um, uh, if, if I, I mean, I'll, I'll really date myself because I played with this fella, uh, Pete Lecoq, Bobby Denier, uh, ex-Cub guy that, you know, I mean, he was one of the first million-dollar players. Um, Kevin Seitzer, who's the hitting coach for the Braves right now. Uh, Jeff Montgomery used to be the closer for the Royals. All these guys used to play, and it, it it's amazing when they got – between the lines, it was like it's on, you know. And uh, Montgomery threw at people. Um, if somebody hit hit a ball in the gap or hit a home run, the next guy get plunked. That's all there is to it. I mean, they were still competitors, and uh, it was. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah, Willie Wilson, uh, one of the fastest guys in baseball yeah. back in the day. Yeah, so it uh, it's it's been very good. That's awesome. That that's pretty, pretty, pretty broad spread beyond just college. So, and well, so you've mentioned I've heard a couple times that you and Scott Taylor are friends. So, so, so how did he talk you into a, a giving him an out? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, the first time, this is like time number four, mm-hmm. and the first time he told me he was going to resign, I was on my tractor in my backyard cutting the grass, and he said, "Hey." You sitting down? I said, "Well, yeah, I'm I'm cutting the grass." And he's he's been to my house a million times. And he knows that uh, there better not be a blade out of you know out of place. But uh, he said, I- "I'm going to give it up." He said, uh, "Do you want to apply?" I said, "Let me know when you give it up." And never happened. Well, that happened three times. Finally, on the fourth time, and and I called BS on it even when he told me. <laughs> but then he finally, you know sent me a copy of his, of his resignation letter. And, and he's very close with Eric Brees, the division two director. Um, they're right there in Indianapolis where Scott lives. It was just the time was just right. You know, it's like I said previously, my main goal has been to make college baseball better, um, whether it be at the junior college level or division two level or, or whatever. And I, I just think that this was, um, another avenue that that I could pursue uh, more on a uh, uh, national basis. That's that's awesome. I do have a story, and I'll pull another name out of the past for you. Uh, A friend friend of ours, uh, Travis and I, gentleman by the name of Bert Field. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can tell you a story about Bert. Joe Randa, who used to be third baseman for the Royals, and then he ended his career in Pittsburgh for uh, third base with Pittsburgh. Joe called me, and this had to be, I guess, maybe 2012 or 10, or I don't even know. And he said, John, I'm taking my my 12-year-olds to Cooperstown, and we have to bring an umpire. I said, well, I'll find you somebody, Joe. He said, no, I think, I think I'd like for you to. I said, the answer is no. Talk to you later. Well, he called me back, and, and Joe and I go back a long way. And I finally said, okay. And he said, not going to cost you a nickel. You know, I'll cover everything, which he did. And he was wonderful. But that's not my cup of tea. You know, there were, there were 
probably 102 umpires, and there was only about three of us that I would consider umpires. Bert was in my uh, barracks, which that was a whole other thing. You know, wake up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom, you got to walk outside and go to a different building. And I'm not a total city boy, but I'm, you know, I like to walk less than 10 feet to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and a gentleman of a certain age, yeah, you don't don't sleep through the night. You got to get up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and I was, I I was considerable, naturally, I was considerably younger 12 years ago. But anyway, um, so I told Joe, that I would stay there as long as his team was in. And when they got knocked out, I'm history. So they got knocked out on a Wednesday, and I'm trying to find a, 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 a ride to uh, Albany Airport, Albany Airport. And Bert steps up, and I really didn't know Bert, but he steps up and said, I'll take you. So he did, and he wouldn't take any money. And as I was leaving the car, I threw a $20 bill at him, and you know, gas was considerably cheaper back then. And I'm, I'm sure 20 didn't cover it, but you know, at least he took something. We've been friends ever since. You know, we don't see, we've only seen each other once or twice since, but we talk frequently and he sends me umpires and, you know, contacts and stuff like that. And I'll never forget him doing that for me. If he called me up and said, Hey, I need some help. I'd be there in a minute. Uh, He speaks very highly of you. And I've heard uh, the other side of that same story. So Travis and I, um, both used to live in San Jose, and that's how we know Bert. We both used to work for Bert and been friends with Bert. And I also assign baseball now, and so Bert's been helpful to me and, you know, contact and bounce ideas and how to get this league to pay sooner, faster, sure. you know, things like that. Um, hey, a guy's moving from from this area up towards your area, you know, we'll, we'll you know, about, about one or the other. But he tells it the similar same story, and he goes, you know, offered this guy a ride. I didn't really know who he was. He, you know, he said, you know, we get first time on the field. And you said, well, he goes, the, the, the John says, uh, well, it's been a little while. I've worked a little bit, but, uh, you know, we'll see how we do. And he goes, and the guy, he goes, he can umpire. He's running circles around everybody else. He says, but, you know, not a big, big self-promoter. So, but I didn't know who he was. And so, and he, he needed a ride, you know, when it's time for him to go home, you ride and like, you know, off him a ride and he goes well are you sure it's like two and a half hours each way Bert says well my story is well I'm gonna sit here in the cube sit here in the barracks not do nothing or I can go out and do something and so off y'all went he goes and he didn't find out until you told him afterwards near the end of the leg of the trip with some of your background and Bert goes talk about humility you know show your game and that kind of comes to the next thing of uh uh, kind of kind of person you were is like not to toot your own horn and let, let your let your game talk for itself which i think is important because the topic came up with in a conversation meeting with one of our one of our mentors last night about umpires that come up and first thing they do is they want to talk talk to you but you do a guy on your crew you don't know who he is he's going to talk talk his game up and then he gets out in the field you're like how in the heck did this guy get here right. so uh the, the opposite and you just kind of laid right into that that story of yeah you didn't toot your own horn he said i know who the guy was he seemed like a nice guy i can help him out it didn't really cost me anything that gave me something to do and i, I made a friend out of it yeah that's 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 exactly right i i, I learned a long time ago if you gotta tell somebody how good you are there's probably an issue there 
Can you say uh, that again for some of our listeners who who, who <laughs> may know somebody who might need to hear that? <laughs> it's hard to really pin down, but you know, it's it's no different than, than a baseball player. If you're really that good, they're going to find you. And it's the same thing with umpiring. There have been some unfortunate circumstances where people um, have a, a different perceived value of their ability or, or opinion of their own ability. And, and I tell this story quite frequently. I said, you know, when I was younger, I knew in my heart, in my head, that I was good enough to work in the Big 8 and the Big 12. I just knew it. But the fellow doing the assigning at the time and the evaluating didn't think so. So what I thought didn't matter. Yeah, I was pretty upset about it for a little bit, but then I decided to become the best junior college slash Division II umpire I could possibly be. And it, it obviously turned out pretty good for me. Not everybody is going to reach the, the top of the hill. You know, first of all, there's only so many Division I spots. Secondly, uh, geographics play a lot into it. Timing plays a lot into it. If it's just no different than, than the big leagues. I've got some very good friends that were AAA umpires for years. Several of them have big league time, but never got hired full-time as a big league umpire. Not because they're no good. Obviously, they're good. But there wasn't a spot at the time. Nobody was retiring. So much of it is timing. I didn't let not being a division. I did a lot of non-con division one, but I never was a conference division one umpire. And I didn't let that define me. And I, I speak to groups all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm flying to Philadelphia on the second to talk to a, a group in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And then I, I turn around and fly to Orlando to talk to the UPC group on the following Monday. Um, and, and I want all these people to know that it's, it's not the end of the world. I mean, yeah, the money is a lot better at Division One, but there's also a lot that goes along with it, you know. And not everybody's got the the makeup to be a, a Division One level umpire, but be the best umpire you can possibly be at whatever level you cap out at, you know. And and don't let that define you as an umpire. Well, well said. I think uh, that's that's a good idea. Be the best you can be at whatever level you're at. And if you can still keep moving up, I'll always just keep working. So here, here's the kind of the big question is what, what got you started in umpiring? Oh, my. That's um, <laughs> I, I, I hope you guys have enough time. Well, I'll give you the, <laughs> Plenty the of time. Cliff, Plenty. I'll give you the cliff notes version. <laughs> um, I was in the race car parts business, mail order uh, retail in wholesale, and I also raced cars. Well, we we did ex we were drag racers. So, I mean, we were at uh, L.A. County Fairgrounds in January, and we were in Sonoma in um, July normally, or maybe August, I can't remember, and then everywhere else uh, uh, across the country. And we were doing extremely well on the business side of it. And then the Gulf War came uh, back in the mm -hmm mid to late eighties, nobody was spending money. The, the discretionary dollar just, just dried up. Our receivables weren't in great shape. And one, one thing led to another, we, we went broke. We didn't go bankrupt. We liquidated. Um, 
I, I thought going bankrupt, it would have been easier, but I didn't think that was the right way to do it. And we tried to do the best we could. We scratched and clawed. And I, I've got just a terrific wife. We just celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary. And, uh, you know, we, we hung in there. We had three little kids to feed and a big house to pay for and no way to make uh, any money. About uh, four or five years before I closed up the race car parts business, um, we went in the screen print embroidery business. Uh, we used to give away a free t-shirt with every $100 purchase, and I couldn't get my shirts on time. I said, hell with it. I've got money. I'm just going to buy my own screen print equipment. Well, I had no idea how to print a t-shirt, but I learned, and we started doing shirts for all the major drag racing teams and, and stuff like that. And I ended up playing in the men's senior baseball league here in town. I, I had some, mm. I wasn't traveling anymore. Um, and I started playing. There was an opportunity to umpire. Um, now this is the purest level of umpire. Somebody saw me umpire a men's game one night and said, Hey, I'm going to have the local uh, junior college and high school assigner call you. Okay. So he calls me that night and, uh, fellow's name is Mike and Mike said, Hey, I want you to go do a scrimmage at this high school. And the coach will report back to me. So I did. And he called me back that night. He said, this is on a Wednesday night, miserable rainy night. I'll never forget it. He said, uh, I want you at Neosho County Community College for a conference doubleheader Saturday at one o'clock. And you're working with so-and-so. I said, okay. And I didn't even know where Neosho County Community College was. You know, it's about an hour and 45 minutes from here. And I didn't know what it paid, didn't care. Um, I was there. And I worked the two games. And gentlemen, I promise you as I sit here, I was the worst umpire in the state of Kansas on that day. But I really liked it. And I made $50 a game cash. Ooh, now, rolling in the big dough. That was big <laughs> money, guys. So, yeah, I tell people the, the first game I ever worked was $50 a game. And the last game I ever worked was $650. You know, of course, there are quite a few years in between. But the umpiring came at a time of life that I really needed it. Because I was on the road 44 weekends a year um, mm -hmm. racing cars and promoting my business. And you know, I'd fly out on Wednesdays, fly home on Sundays, and do it 44 times a year. Fortunately, I've got a great wife, and I've got three wonderful kids. And, um, you know, everything turned out great. Um, but that's how I got into college umpire. I never worked a high school game in my life, which um, I'm not saying that's the – right avenue to take by by no means is it but back in those days there were no camps it was somebody saw you and threw you in to the deep end and uh, you either drowned or swam yeah. i decided to swim so the rest is history now what year is this if you don't mind me asking oh my gosh um 89 a lot of miles and a lot of a lot of great people and you know, I'll never forget, I actually drove 500 miles in one day to work a nine-inning game with an old friend of mine. I'm still mad about that, though. He made me buy lunch after driving that long. Uh, <laughs> that ain't right. It, it, that ain't it right. was worth every mile, let me tell you. So uh, this next topic has had me just extremely, uh, extremely curious uh, since I read your bio. 
And, the following, and you'll have to forgive me. The following question comes from a position of ignorance. Uh, so please don't be offended. But I've never even heard of the National Baseball Congress World Series. Uh, and for those in our audience that don't know, it started in 1935 in Wichita, Kansas, as a tournament for semi-professional clubs or town teams uh, sponsored by local businesses. This typical makeup of a team changed in the 70s as most of the semi-professional teams folded and the teams uh, that were replaced with mainly amateur college players, you know, looking to impress major league scouts. Uh, and it's also important to note uh, that the great Satchel Pages team, the Bismarck Churchills, won the first one. Um, and it's going to be, as we discussed uh, a little bit earlier, um, it's going to be 90 years this year. Now, you went into a little bit um, on how you became the assigner. Was there any big catalyst for you making the decision to decide to assign this in particular uh tournament and this prestigious tournament because it's uh like i said it's it, it's pretty major so was there a catalyst uh beforehand did you have any prior knowledge of the of of the tournament and maybe this is something you wanted to do before you were actually approached to take it over you know truthfully i had i had worked some games there in the past because i mean it's such a prestigious tournament the problem is it's in the middle of the summer. And years ago, I had uh, I, I had some heat stroke issues. And once you have it, you have it more frequently. So I, I tried to stay out of the heat. Now, the NBC used to have a, a really cool deal called Around the Clock Baseball. And it was sponsored by Coleman, you know, the, the cooler and um, camping supply company. Well, they're based in Wichita, Kansas. And Coleman would sponsor us round the clock, and they had the last man standing. This would go on for like 48 hours, I believe. And people would be in the stands for 48 hours. Now, you can just imagine what that place smelled like. I mean, you'll probably want to hear it. <laughs> but, but, you know, every hour they, they would check in to a, a check-in booth or whatever, and they'd be able to sleep. But if they miss their check-in, they're out. And, you know, people would bring them food and whatnot. And you'd end up, I mean, there were years people won campers. And, I mean, it was a big deal. It was the farthest thing from my mind as far as assigning the umpires. Because, like I, I indicated, the gentleman doing it before, who well, well known in, in the umpire community, was doing it for 20-plus years. And I just figured that he would do it for a lot longer. You know, and, and he's, I don't know, I, I think... He's probably close to 80 now, but very sharp guy and a good baseball person. So when they called me, I, I was totally taken off off guard. Uh, it's, it's turned out very good. You know, I've had umpires come from as far away as uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I had a, a fellow from uh, uh, Seattle, I believe. And, and um, most of these guys are friends of mine because it's it's not a – for the umpires, it's not a money-making thing, you know. Like a like a a, a big eight or SEC umpire is going to make eight or nine hundred dollars, maybe thousand dollars per game. We get paid one hundred twenty dollars a game, but we always have a smoker with the brisket on it, or you know, uh, we always had cold beer in the in the cooler, and it's more of a family type thing. It's it guys get together and 
if you've got a game at 10 o'clock in the morning, you might not leave the clubhouse till nine o'clock that night. I hate to word, use the, the overused word brotherhood, but it's, you know, that's what it is. It's just a bunch of friends getting together. We've got probably the greatest clubhouse as far as the, the makeup uh, of guys. And uh, it, it's really tremendous. I was speaking with a, um, with a colleague of ours. Not many people know who he is. He's done one, two, six college world series guy by the name of Jeff Hendricks. Uh, I know Jeff very well. <laughs> uh, yesterday, and, uh, <laughs> and I was uh, I was talking to him yesterday about the NBC, and he had mentioned to me that at one time, the tournament, uh, you, you, just like you said, the last man standing, there, the actual tournament ended up going for a full twenty four hour period. Correct. Correct. You could and, you could do a game at six in the morning. You could do you could start a game at three in the morning and watch the sun come up. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Does that? And he also said actually that when he was doing double A ball, because so many people would come to the NBC, like he was to mention, like ten to fifteen thousand people Correct. would show up for it. That if they had a double A game that was scheduled for the night, they'd actually change it to a day game so people could go to the NBC at night. Naturally, that's way before me, and and Jeff's a very good friend of mine. He's threatened once or twice to to come on down and do a few games, but uh, I haven't been able to get him uh, get him off the couch in the summertime. Naturally, I'd love to have him. Yeah, it it it's incredible. Our crowds now aren't quite that big, and since the that stadium that he's talking about was Lawrence Dumont Stadium, and Hap Dumont was one of the founders of the NBC or, or the founder of the NBC. I, I don't know my history about that as well as I should. They tore down Dumont stadium several years ago and built their new river riverfront stadium, which is uh, a double a, I think it's the twins, but I'm not positive. And we've moved over to uh, Wichita state university, which changed the dynamic a little bit. And hopefully down the road, we'll be able to play at least the championship games uh, over at the, the new stadium. So when is the tournament? You know, obviously July-ish. It's actually August 4th to the 15th, 15th I believe. Oh, okay. August 4th to the 15th, and which that creates some problems in itself because it's sometimes for these teams, it's hard to hold the kids together because they like to go home. You know, so many of them. <clears throat> are away from home during the summer playing baseball, they like to go home for a week or two before they go back to school. Uh, it's really a, a testament to the, not only the teams, but the tournament directors and, and all the people involved keeping these things together. And now the, the winning, the teams, you get into the money area and the teams actually win money. I think the, the winning team wins 20 grand. Some of the teams say if they win 20, they actually lose 20 because it costs them 40 to come. Um, but there's so much tradition and, um, it, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. You know, I, you know, um, so many of the, the, the Negro league players, Buck O'Neill played there, cool Papa Bell played there. I mean, there's so much history in this tournament and the, at the new riverfront stadium, there's a, an actual, uh, museum, NBC museum. Mm. And it's really cool. Well, that, that explains it because I know for some of the other 
you know, lower level college summer leagues, you know, the championship weekends, the last week in July. And if, and sometimes, you know, go be playing a be best of three, there's an, if necessary game, you know, Sunday night and coaches going, well, we don't want to get to the if game because I'm going to lose four players because they got flights. Yeah. So trying to do a tournament in August, I guess that explains why that would it, it is difficult, but you know, it's it's been very successful. It, it's tough for me because we have four games a day, normally starting um 10 o'clock, I believe, in the morning, maybe noon. Uh, I mean, there have been times I've gotten to the hotel back to my hotel at four or five in the morning and have to be back in the ballpark because I'm on site for every pitch of every game. Mm. Um <clears throat> just in case something goes sideways, but I have such a great staff of umpires and, and these guys, I mean, you know, there's a, a fellow that that's got one uh, Omaha division one world series under his belt. And he'll, he'll have more as time goes on. We've got four or five that have regionals and super regionals at the division one level. And, and besides being high quality umpires, they're just great people. And I'm, I'm proud to call them my friends. Yeah. So I, like, I think that kind of explains, we kind of had a question, you know, obviously Santa Barbara Foresters, uh, us being left coast oriented, know they've, they've gone back to this um, and won it several times, but it, maybe that's why some of the other leagues, you know, Cape Cod, Alaska, they can't hold the teams together. That's a big part of it. Yeah. That, that's, that's a big part of it. You know, the kids play 50, 60 games a, a summer. I, I understand, you know, they, they're still kids. Yeah, you know, for the most part. Right. Well, and then some of them have to report to school in August. Right so, away. Yeah. I want to get a few days off before I have to go to report to practice. <laughs> yeah, well, they want to go drink some beer without anybody telling them. Well, with uh, all your experience on the signing over the years and uh, not only doing the NBC, but doing the men's senior uh, World Series signing, moving into Division Two as the national coordinator what are some of your goals that you're looking forward to over the next probably couple of years travis that's a great question and one that i i answer all the time um and talking to the conference commissioners yesterday uh i went over that many times one of my main goals and initiatives is uh, addressing the unsportsmanlike conduct directed toward umpires it's absolutely at an epidemic rate, uh, and we're moving in the wrong direction. Nowhere on the planet is the type of language that leads to an ejection acceptable. If I were to walk into a coach's office or an AD's office and say, hey, you blankety-blank suck, I get fired. No questions asked. If my third-base umpire walks over the shortstop after the shortstop booted, the third routine ground ball of the game and says, hey, you blankety blank suck. He gets fired. No questions asked. He'll never umpire again in his life. You know, where a, a head coach might get a game suspension, maybe in some leagues, uh, an assistant coach or uh, a player, they get a game suspension, and then they can come right back and do it again. It's just not right. And and I know that the administrations pay coaches to to coach their teams and not sit on a bus or in their office after they've been ejected. It trickles downhill too. When, when a head coach talks to an umpire in an inappropriate manner, he's telling his coach, his other coaches who are most generally younger, he's telling his players, 
And even more so, he's telling his fan base, parents mostly, that this is acceptable behavior. Well, you know what? These, some of these people might be coaching summer ball. Well, now all of a sudden, the the the, the less experienced umpires at, at the summer level are, are being subjected to this. That's why we have such a shortage of umpires. Not That's one reason we have such a shortage of umpires. There's no upside to it. Uh, whenever you put the word in you or your, now you're making it personal. And that's when we take action. You know, I tell all of my, my staffs in the past, and now I tell all my coordinators, I always like to follow the three-step procedure. Acknowledge, warn, eject. Okay, but sometimes when when it becomes a, a, a pointed conversation or a pointed negative comment, you go from zero to eject right away. You, you skip the other two uh, steps. That is going to be a, a major, major initiative. I, I've told all my uh, conference coordinators that as long as the umpires do it the right way, they give me bullets for my gun. I will support them from the national level. But in the same respect, if one of the umpires goes out and it becomes a shouting match and the language is the same on both sides, I can't support that. We have to take the high road, which is the best road. And hopefully these administrations will start cracking down on their coaches. And um, in speaking to the conference uh, commissioners yesterday, most of them were very, very happy that that's one of my main initiatives because uh, something has to be done. Uh, I, hopefully that we can make some uh, traction and, and move in the right direction. The, the other thing is recruiting umpires. I think, I think we have a, an untapped resource. Um, we did a test in one of my leagues last year, well, actually the last two years in the, the GLBC, the Great Lakes Valley conference, which is Indiana Illinois uh, and Missouri, I went to the coaches and asked them if they had any student athletes that were either graduating or that weren't going to play baseball in the summertime that needed a job um, and if they'd like to learn how to umpire. Well, the University of Indianapolis um, had six players and the University of Illinois at Springfield had five players. And these guys, I, I think, uh, at the minimum, they made $5,000 each. Well, you know, to a 18, 20 year old college kid, that's, that's a lot of money, especially for, you know, a, a summertime. I, I'm going to try to coordinate a, um, a network where if let's say somebody from the, the PAC West uh, D2 conference, we have an umpire or a young fellow that wants to umpire. Well, Okay, that's simple. I call Billy Hayes, and, and Billy finds him a place to umpire. He can do that. He's connected. You know, if somebody from the Northeast 10 that's playing in the Northeast 10 wants to umpire, but he's from the Omaha area, I'll get him connected to somebody in Omaha. It's going to take a little bit, but I want to build a network to where we have an opportunity for these players, whether they be current or soon-to-be former players, have an opportunity to stay in the game and earn some money. And we're filling the pipeline up at the, at the lowest level, which is where we need to. And hopefully we'll get some retention. Um, you know, it's recruit, 
train, retain, retain. And that re retention part is, is one of the most important, you know, um, unfortunately I know of some organizations that they'll get a hundred new guys every year, but by the end of the, the summer, they they've got 10 of them left. Well, a 10% retention, it takes too much effort and training and money to train those other 90 people for them to go away. So we have to retain them. I think um, education and showing them the right way to do it, how fun it is. And, you know, a very good friend of mine, he's a division one regional evaluator. We do a lot of camps together. And he said to me, uh, he uses this in his camps. And I told him I steal, I'm, I'm stealing it, which I have. He'll be talking to a group of campers. He'll say, guys, you know what I get to do today? I get to umpire baseball. And, you know, if you think about that, there's so much to that. You know, we're out there in the middle of a ball field. Hopefully it's a beautiful day, 70 degrees, sun shining. You're out there with, with 30 or 40 kids that are working their tails off to get to the next level or whatever it might be. You get to umpire baseball. And, oh, by the way, make a few bucks in the meantime. I use that a lot because to me that really resonates. You know, a lot of guys go out there and, <clears throat> you know, you, you could tell the difference between umpires that go out there just for the paycheck and those who will go out there for the love of the game. And uh, Eric and I were uh, umpiring early in our careers. And he said something to me that has stuck in my mind uh, ever since he said it. And it really changed the way that I looked at umpiring just in general, because although it might just be another game for you, it might be something to somebody else. And he said to me, the game's always important to somebody. That's right. That's and right. Every so, pitch is important to somebody. Exactly. And so it's like, it's so, so it's so important for us as umpires to go out and give your best every single time you go out there. And here's something else. Even bad baseball deserves good umpire. You know, we've all been involved in the game is 25 to three. You know, nobody's really having any fun. But, you know, that's a great time for an umpire to work on stuff because something crazy usually happens, you know, errors or whatnot. And whether it be tracking a ball or, 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 you know, positioning, you know, uh, your footwork or whatever it might be. You know, you, you make uh, uh, lemonade out of lemons and, and you're still getting paid. Every pitch is important to somebody and even bad baseball deserves to Going back to what you were saying about um, in the beginning about uh, the way officials are treated by coaches, at the end of the day, there really isn't much consequence to that action other than suspension. Out here in California, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but at the junior college level, a coach is allowed only to be ejected twice during the season. And if he's ejected the second time, he's actually suspended for the rest of the season without Oh, pay. wow. And, That's phenomenal. Yeah, and so it's it seems that if you want to curtail that behavior, the best place to do it is to hit him in the pocketbook. Do you foresee that possibly, not necessarily at two per se, but some sort of that sort of uh, consequence uh, could be accepted at the higher levels? I'd, I'd love to see it. I don't think it's going to happen. Each conference has the ability to impose their own penalties. Um, you know, like I said before, some get a, a game, some don't. By NCAA rules, 
head coach doesn't get a game on his first offense. Uh, but one of my leagues um, previously, they had uh, head coaches had to sit a game. And administrations hate hate it when their coaches, you know, their head coaches don't, uh, they're not on the field to coach. Uh, I, I agree with you. I wish there would be uh, a little bit stiffer penalties. If, if an umpire goes to a school for the first time, he fails. I, and when I was a coordinator, I would tell him, that's on me. That is not on the umpire. Do not get on him. Call me up because I put him in a situation he wasn't ready for. You know, so I want I want to take the the pressure off of the umpires, and, and that works sometimes. Sometimes it didn't, but you know, I, I think coordinators should take the the, the fall for that. I, I don't. I never was a guy that put names. I called it names to games. You know, just to fill a spot. I tried to fill the spots with the best umpires that I had available to me on that given day and time. Didn't always work, you know, especially when the, the makeups come and the rain and whatnot. Um, the the coaches knew that they they pretty much got what they what they could get. Uh, if a weekend series wrapped over to Monday, lots of people can't work Mondays. So you just have to find somebody to fill that spot. And and for the most part, my coaches were very good about that. So John, with your resume, it's obvious that when it comes to umpiring that you've been around the block. You know, you've seen some tremendous changes in how our profession is perceived and the tremendous amount of work it takes umpires to achieve the highest level while holding full-time jobs. So when it comes to umpiring as a whole, now that you're being, uh, now you're in the D2 national coordinator spot, what do you feel is this country's biggest strengths? What is the biggest thing we as umpires need to improve on? Well, the, the the world of umpiring at at our level, at the Division II level, is forever changing. With the advent of the the clock, the action clock, several years ago, and now in 2025, we'll have every school's uh, mandated to have at least one visible clock. The we as umpires have to stay up on on the rules. I, there are schools that are implementing replay. Well, we have to know what's reviewable what's not the coaches aren't going to know they're going to want to replay everything well you know we're going to have to tell them uh, i know one of my leagues that, that i just gave up they're doing a test pilot three of the schools are going to have replay and the new coordinator called me today and uh, he's pulled his hair out because he's trying to educate not only the umpire staff but the three coaches that uh, are doing the, the pilot program and the commissioner we're forever changing. And for the most part, we're forever changing for the good. You know, I indicated earlier that the first game I ever umpired, college game I ever umpired was $50, and the last game was six fifty. Well, the money at Division two level has come a long way. When I took over both of my leagues, uh, they were making $125 a game. Now they're making $230 a game. You know, it's not where it needs to be in comparison to Division one level. You know, I think the Big 12 is a $3,700 flat fee for three games. I think the SEC is close to 4000 for three games. Um, and uh, so there's a big disparity. But in the same respect, the budgets. And, and, and I certainly understand, you know, we're talking about some schools that might have 3,000, you know, student body. 
you know, versus uh, uh, Kansas University's got thirty-five thousand. Budgets are, are 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 an issue, but you know what I have found, for the most part, and I have a whole thing about this, but we've got some really tremendous people umpiring the Division Two level. To me, that 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 means a lot because I, I talk to people all the time, and I, I pose this question at camps and. Travis may have even heard me at one point because he's been to some camps that I've been at. It's easier to be a good person than a good umpire. I always ask a camper, why? Why, why is that so? And they'll say something. And, and I'll say, well, you know, being a good person's a choice. Being a good umpire takes a huge amount of, of hard work, dedication, sacrifice, everything like that. I can get up in the morning. I say, you know, I'm going to be a really good person today. Or I can get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to be a real turd. I've never forced anybody to accept an assignment. So regardless of what the assignment is, what the assignment pays, if the umpire hits accept, whether it be ref quest or arbiter, that means that he's accepting everything that goes along with it. The prescribed game fee, the location, his one or two partners, you know, the whole package. And so until the point comes where, where an umpire is forced to take an assignment, which I don't think that'll ever happen. Have I bribed people before? Sure. But have I forced anybody? No. You know, so when you accept that assignment, you're accepting everything. I have left some really, really fine umpires. I mean, high quality ball strike safes and outs umpires. I, I've let a bunch of them go over the years because Number one, they couldn't get along with their partners. Number two, they had to have a last word when talking to a coach or a student body or, or, or a player. That's, that's unfortunate because these guys were very, very good umpires. You know, we, we, we're held to a higher standard, and I, I certainly hold, hold my people to a higher standard. And being a good person is a huge part, huge part about being a good umpire. And I've had some people – you know, kind of question me on that, but I, I stand firm to it. I, I've been, I've been saying that for many years and I'll, I'll probably say it until, until I'm uh, out of the game. Uh, that, that sounds, that sounds great. I, I, I agree with it though. Uh, I, I've shortened it and it's, it's a little cruder as, as uh, I'd love to have a roster of no turds. So, yeah. <laughs> I know you're just kind of getting in into the spot of national coordinator. We haven't had a season yet. I've been fortunate enough to know two of your predecessors and both great guys in, in their way. What do you think is the biggest misconception about being a national coordinator? I'm sure you've run into stuff right away. So, Oh, I, I have. I have actually. Um, three days after I was, uh, was awarded the position, uh, I got a phone call from an umpire and his exact words were, am I going to the – can go to carry championship game. Can I go to carry? I'm going to carry, right? <laughs> now, this this fellow is a very good umpire, but my answer was no. And I explained to him um, why he eventually turned back his schedule to the new new coordinator. It was in a league that that I used to coordinate, hmm. and he got out and he well, he took it upon himself to kind of try to ream me on Facebook. Was that uh, that posting that we all saw? That was that posting. Yeah. Oh, it's shoot. unfortunate. One of the biggest misconceptions is, and it, it ties in with this, how postseason umpires are, are, are assigned. You know, we have a regional, a super regional and a CWS, just, just like division one does. 
Now, one thing that Division Two does differently than Division One for the CWS, I'm required, and it's been this way for over 20 years, um, to pick one CWS umpire from each region. We have eight regions. So it, it really doesn't matter that if a glut of really, really, really high caliber umpires are all, all in, let's say, Northern California, I can only use one of them. Now, that doesn't say that the other seven won't get their turn, but for any one year, I can only take one. You know, that that's, uh, I believe that's Tom Hyler's territory uh, as a coordinator, and maybe Billy as well. I can only take one. That Those are the rules we have to play by. The regionals and super regionals, I will be working very closely with the, the coordinators, and I've already asked them and received for watch lists. Um, and these are their, their top six to eight umpires uh, that they rank for me. And then I get their schedules. To, to give you guys a snapshot, other than these two little trips I'm taking, I'm, I'm going to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on the 2nd. I'm going to Orlando on the 5th of February. Then I go to Denver on the 9th to 11th to evaluate four RMAC umpires. Come back, I'm going to spend a couple weekends uh, within a few hundred miles of Kansas City. Then, then I go to back to Orlando for eight days to evaluate all the Sunshine State guys are being nominated for postseason. Then uh, I go to Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas for a weekend. You know, so it's a it's a constant evaluation process. I'm really looking forward to because I did it on the on the conference level. I think I've become pretty good at it. I, I learned from some of the best. Uh, Mark Disworth and Jim Jackson, uh, two of the D1 national evaluators, regional evaluators, taught me how to evaluate umpires. And I spent a lot of time with both of them. And, and Mark Disworth was, for the last 10, 12 years, just been tremendous to me. And he's got the ability to umpire or to evaluate four umpires at one time. I, I'm pretty good at three. I haven't got to the fourth yet, but I, I've watched him do it. And it, it's pretty incredible. Uh, he's right on the money. That's how guys are, are selected. I'm not a big time serve guy, you know, participation trophy guy. My performance is judged on the product I put on the championship field, okay? So whether you've been there for five years waiting your turn or not, if there's a better umpire, a more qualified umpire, I shouldn't say better, a more qualified umpire that's in your league that your coordinator is, is that I've talked to your coordinator about, chances are he's going he's gonna to get the spot. You know, I've got a very good friend that's had 11 Division One regionals, 11. He's never, the last one was this past year. He's never had a super. Now, I personally think the guy's good enough for a super, but I don't make that decision. You know, he's seen a lot of people jump in front of him. Well, you know, the, the, the people that make the decision, that's the way they're going. It doesn't affect him. He's a professional. He goes out there and works every single game at the Big 12. And the Big Ten, they possibly can, to the best of his ability. He's a great umpire. He's a good partner. It's just not enough room for everybody. Right? Just not enough room for everybody. With that, with that in mind, making it to the big games, the World Series, or to regionals, or to super regionals, and this is something that we talked about with, with Scott in the past, is 
you can't hide a good umpire, but you can't also hide a bad umpire. So with that in mind, as the national coordinator, how much importance do you place on summer baseball camps and fall baseball? When you get to the level of going to Division II regionals, Super Regionals, and possibly the World Series and carry, I don't expect that umpire to be going to camps every year. You know, he might pick and choose once every two or three years, but he's more likely to be helping at some camps than actually attending the camps. Um, because these are the, I consider these guys leaders, um, hopefully my leaders, definitely the, the, the best umpires on, on their staffs. You know, it's, it's funny, um, they kind of revert a little bit or regress, but I was having a, co a conversation with the coordinator oh, a month or so ago, and he's really trying to pump this one umpire. You know, he's really good when things go sideways, and, you know, he, he's, he's been around for a long time and really, really won, won this guy to get to, to the World Series. And I said, okay, I have one question. Is he your best umpire? And the coordinator came back and said, no. I said, then why are we having this conversation? It comes back to everybody caps out someplace, you know, and people might cap out after super regional. And the progression is you, you do regional, super regional. And after your super regional, you are eligible for the World Series. It's normally a couple regionals and maybe one or two supers. And then, then you, you move on if all the stars align properly, but there's just no guarantee. And, and that's the problem a lot of people have. I don't, I don't go out to hurt somebody's feelings, but if people know me, they know that I'm going to answer them with my honest opinion and it might not align with their opinion. And unfortunately it, it's upset some people in the past, but you know, it's uh, kind of comes along with the territory. The lower level guys, like coming out of varsity high school, coming out of getting into uh, JUCO and all that, and then moving up. What are your thoughts on them attending camps or clinics? Absolutely. Uh, you know, back in my day, we didn't have camps and clinics. You know, hope, hopefully a person was lucky enough to, to latch on to a, a more experienced umpire. For, for a less, and I don't call them new umpires or young umpires when I, I always use the word less experienced umpire. I, I think it's a great way to learn. Now, I, I know of some people that go to camps every single year. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. You want to pick a camp that's appropriate to your level. Okay. Uh, you know, the first time I, I met you, Travis, was, was it um, the Mid-America two-man camp in yep. Springfield, Missouri, yep. of all places. You know, I'll, I'll never forget it. You weren't that good. No, I wasn't. You know, <laughs> I still got but, video on but, that. I'm like, oh my god. But you terrible. came back. You yeah. know, I think several times, yeah. and the improvement was just ridiculous. It it was tenfold, and, and that's it, that. going to a camp is one thing. Taking what you learn at a camp and acting on it that Blind. that's something else, and something that we as as coordinators or instructors don't have any control over you you spent a lot of money going coming from the west coast to a camp um i, I think you had some family in the area or something yeah. like that but yeah. you know that's a major investment 
and and you took it and ran with it, which I I, I applaud. So picking picking the right camp is, is critical. You get the guys that that will jump to an advanced camp that aren't ready. They they kind of get exposed right away. So I, I'm a big proponent of camps. You know, definitely the right camp. We we have to as as experienced guys we we have to mentor and and uh, nurture these younger less experienced people and a lot of i see a lot of females now which is fantastic and we have to keep them in the game hey john i'm just curious does that uh does that information uh, as far as umpires you know that are looking to move up and possibly to get into a conference playoff game or anything like that when they're chosen for that i mean what these umpires are doing as far as maybe camps and clinics or uh, fall ball and uh, summer ball, those types of things. Does that information ever get back to you? Yeah, on, on resumes, it does. You know, I'm, I'm all about uh, reps. You know, we, we can't, we can't see enough pitches. We can't see enough uh, tight plays at first base or fourth place slide rules at second base or third base. You know, we, we dive, catch, no catch. We can never see enough of them. Because every single one's different. You know, I look at guys' resumes, and I'll, I'll look at a camp, but I really, I want to see where they've umpired. You know, when I'm when I'm looking at resumes. And I, and I, truthfully, I don't see that many resumes anymore. When I had guys wanting to get into one of my conferences, I, I get resumes quite a bit. My attitude as a Division II coordinator was, I'd like to promote four to six guys every year to division one and i cultivated a very good relationship with the the big 10 the big east the big 12 assigner um, the american rich fetchett and a, a good relationship with mike conlon who's the missouri valley summit league and horizon league coordinator and i would always push my guys on them sometimes to nauseam and they would they would be they'd be tired of talking to me but i felt it was part of my job to try to promote my, my guys. And, and you, you know, one would think, well, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by giving up your best umpires. Well, yes, but it's my job to, and I use a fishing term, restock the live well. I, I, I want to keep giving people opportunities. And, you know, at Division One level, there's turnover, there's guys uh, retiring, moving out of area, whatever it might be. And if I've got an umpire that I feel is is capable of working a, a Big 12 game, I'm going to make that phone call. And I might make it six or seven times. I think that's part of a, a coordinator's responsibility. Well, John, we sincerely appreciate your time and coming on our show to express your opinions on several different uh, subjects. And we as a group uh, express a sincere congratulations uh, to you on your well-deserved promotion. Uh, we'd also like to thank uh, Scott Taylor for his many years of service and his willingness to come on our show uh, before, and we wish him uh, the most extreme fortune on uh, whatever's coming next in his life. To wrap up, is there a subject that we didn't cover that you would like us to cover or just a general statement you'd like to make uh, to the umpiring community in general? There is one thing. I would like to challenge all experienced umpires to recruit and mentor a new or less experienced umpire. If if we can do that, we we will 
secure the the future for not only Division II baseball, but Division I baseball, NAI, every level. Because, you know, like we said earlier, not everybody's going to get to the top of the mountain and, and be a Division I umpire. I, I do. I want to challenge every umpire out there to help somebody, mentor somebody, recruit somebody. And, and the the satisfaction that you'll get from it will to me it paid me back in spades and it was it was extremely gratifying so that's that's my challenge to everybody well thank you so much for coming on our on our show i mean we know you're busier than a one-armed paper hanger uh now it's about a week before the uh the season's about to start and uh like you said uh you're traveling here there and everywhere for evaluations and, and whatnot like that and the job's definitely not easy but we appreciate you carving out a couple of t- uh a couple of minutes to come up on our show and give everybody a kind of a well-rounded opinion of uh, who you are and what you hope to accomplish. And we wish you a tremendous amount of success. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Uh, John, I, I appreciate, I mean, like, like we, you said earlier, we both met each other at a camp in Springfield. And I mean, the knowledge you gave to me, during that, those times and those camps was just priceless. And I appreciate everything that you've done for the game of baseball and, and have done for me and helping me in my game and teaching me the game of baseball a little bit better than what I knew it was as I was growing up. So, well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's uh, it's friendship too. No, definitely, definitely. And I look forward to talking with you and, seeing you at the winter meetings and keep doing this and Outstanding. I'm, glad, I'm glad to to be a part of baseball and be a part of uh the ncaa fantastic i appreciate it guys yeah no no problem john and we're just a little fish out here in, in a little corner on the left coast here but anything that we could do to help you out to make it things easier or get a word out about something let us know we'll, we'll, i, I certainly know. will I, I really will well listen you guys have a great season and if there's naturally, if there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know. Um, do, you, do you guys work for Billy or or Tom or? Yeah, we all work yeah, for Billy. We all work for, for Billy. Billy. Yeah. We all okay. Work for Billy. Well, not a bad guy to work for. Billy's right. become a really good friend <laughs> yeah. over the years. Well, thanks again, and uh, have a tremendous, tremendous season. And like Eric said, if there's anything we can do out here uh, in the Sunshine State, of course, you'd never almost know it because it's so freaking cloudy <laughs> nowadays out in California. But if there's anything we can do, or if you happen to be out here uh, doing some evaluations, let us know. We'd love to take you out to dinner and talk some more baseball. That sounds great. I, I, w- I would certainly love doing that. And, and I appreciate the opportunity, guys. I really do. Stay no in touch. Thanks, All John. Right. Thanks, Good John. Good to see you again. Same. Well, everybody, that was John Brower, uh, new newly minted Division II coordinator of umpires. And uh, it sounds like to me that he's got a good grasp on what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish, and and, and just excited to get into the thick of it. Yeah, he, right. He's, he's got some big shoes to fill, but I mean, he's the guy to do it. He's the guy that can, can continue on with what Scott was doing and keep the Division II rolling and getting it as a prestigious uh, level of baseball. Yeah, I believe so. I, I liked uh, how he put, uh, as far as, 
people getting, you know, uh, what or what his thought process has, was on, you know, choosing um, uh, regional, super regional and college World Series umpires. I liked mm-hmm. how he put that. Yeah. So I've known that because the, the uh, getting to carry, I've known they've had the eight regions and that's been that way for the previous two coordinators and before that he said 20 years so that that is no different right it's, it's that same pyramid of major league baseball we started on that topic earlier only so many people get up to the major league level right right well and especially uh, out here on the west coast you know where uh and i'm not trying to miss any other you know region of the of the country but i mean we're just so thick with talent you really have to do something special to separate yourself from the masses. One question I didn't ask him was, I mean, how, how many people ask him, why didn't I get chosen versus what do I need to do to get chosen? Mm-hmm. You know, what the ratio of people that ask, you know, those mm-hmm. two separate questions. Uh, but at any rate, it, it, it sounds like, uh, Division two is in is in good hands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. So what do you guys got on the uh as the season uh approaches? What do both of you have on the horizon? Uh, I open on Saturday. I've had a couple of scrimmages already. Book in my week week of scrimmages with rain in the last inning of each of them. Uh, <laughs> so right. hopefully uh as it's raining today. Um you know, we'll figure out how to get the schedules in, and hopefully, it's not as crazy as last year. But I right. open, I open Saturday, so. Right, and you and I have a scrimmage on Friday. Yes. And Trav, has there been any um, change in? Uh, I, I know that your your healing has been progressing at a trim, at a much more rapid rate than anybody ever thought. Is there any change to your status? Not really, uh, but uh, we had the first high school meeting out here uh, on Monday, and so I was talking to some of the guys, and I'm looking to hopefully hear from them either today or tomorrow to see what's going on at UNR this weekend and hopefully get out and get the gear on and at least get some bullpen work in to start off with and maybe a uh, couple of pitches here and there on the field, but other than that, yeah, just not much is changing. Uh, clinics not until the seventeenth out here, so if that, just working on uh, getting in the gym, getting on the treadmill um, over this weekend as well. Excellent. On top of that, and just get the work in uh, before the scrimmage comes up, mm-hmm. or before the clinic comes up, and so forth. But I think I'm going to have some opportunities at UNR now. Um, yeah. Good. <laughs> That's great. Good, that good. is great. So yeah, I I can't wait. To, I gotta pull the old gear bag out of the out of the garage and dust some things off and do some polishing. But I I think can't wait to to strap it back on. Absolutely. Well, it's great to see you guys, and uh, glad we got another uh, episode in our first uh, of season five, and it's uh, it's been. It's been great having you guys to do this with me. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. And we always love getting together and uh, 
and, and talking baseball and always goes a little bit, sometimes it always goes a little bit longer than we necessarily planned it to, but it's, um, but when you talk baseball, it's like, you almost don't, oh, know, yeah. don't, don't want to stop. <laughs> right. Um, so everybody have a great week to those of you out in our audience who are uh, going out and getting after it this weekend, uh, start your season, have a tremendous 2024. Thank you for joining us on another splendid edition of the strike three podcast. Bye, Thanks everybody. See, I didn't forget this time later. Yeah, yeah you no. got it. You got it. <laughs> we got it in. See you. You got to get, get those reps in. We'll get it down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>